On this episode of This Week in Windows, we're going to take a look at some recent terminations of employment at Microsoft, as well as Microsoft's interest in Windows and its future. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital, and this is your singular source for Windows news. This week we have some really interesting news from Microsoft. They decided to put Windows on the back burner and de-emphasize the investment and focus of Windows. We received word this week that Terry Meyerson, leader of the Windows and Devices Group, is leaving the company. Terry Meyerson was a part of the Microsoft Corporation for 21 years. So it's safe to say that this news is a pretty, pretty impactful. Microsoft has decided to end the employment of Terry Meyerson as well as the focus of the Windows group or the Windows teams by prioritizing Microsoft's cloud and artificial intelligence products like Azure and things like that instead of Windows. So they're going to be de-emphasizing Windows and putting more attention and money to cloud and the artificial intelligence space. That's it for this episode of This Week in Windows. I appreciate you sticking around for this very long episode. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital. And remember, this is your singular source for Windows news. By singular, I mean I have no intention of ever doing this again. Okay, so for the real show this time, on this episode of This Week in Linux, Facebook is still under fire for privacy violations, but Mozilla is trying to help users mitigate these issues with their new Facebook container extension for Firefox. There was some very exciting news for the GIMP team regarding the long-awaited next release of the software. We've got some updates for a couple of photo-related applications with Raw Therapy and Digicam. We'll take a look at Barrier, a new fork of the Synergy software. Barrier is a project to help you use one mouse and one keyboard on multiple computers simultaneously. We'll take a deep dive into the latest updates for the Linux kernel because there are a lot of great features on the way. Then the Humble Indie Bundle is back, and we'll check out some updates for some distros including OpenMedia Vault, PopOS, Cubes, and more. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital. This is your weekly source for Linux GNU's. This week we got an announcement from Mozilla for Firefox Facebook container add-on. This is an extension that allows you to have Facebook in its own special container. Now you can technically do this into the, the multi-accounts container extension or the container tabs extension. You can do it yourself manually. But this does actual extra things that the container system doesn't do. So for example, there's a feature where you go to Facebook, whether you're in a container or not, it will automatically activate the container for Facebook. This is possible in the regular one. You can have it where when you click comment and likes outside of the uh, outside of the container, it won't actually activate the liking because you're not you're not technically logged in on that profile. That's what something is not available. So you can technically do that, but the switch back and forth is where the Facebook container is good because the individual add-on allows you to have an ability to click links inside of the container to automatically leave the container. Whereas most of the time, when you click a link in a container, it will keep you in that container. Whereas this particular extension that they made would take you out of that container so that, so that Facebook couldn't track you anymore. You can already kind of do it by, your, by yourself, but this adds an extra feature on top of that that makes it you know, much more privacy-oriented. Naturally, because Facebook has been the quintessential example of, of protecting your right to privacy and not sharing your data... Facebook has now admitted that they track your phone calls on your, your smartphone if you have the Facebook app installed. So there's that. That's fun. It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. <laughs>
This week we got an announcement for the release candidate of GIMP 2.10. Now, GIMP actually hasn't had a release since 2012-ish. So the 2.10 release candidate is actually like a pretty big news for the GIMP community. There's also a ton of features that are coming in 2.10. So for example, they've added the ability to have like a dashboard dock for monitoring so that you can, while you're using GIMP, you can have like see how much resources it that GIMP is taking while it's like, you know, rendering filters and things like that. So, I mean, it's more of a developer thing that you can use to debug things, but overall it is nice to know like how much it's being used if, if you want. They've also had improvements for a new shadow, shadows and highlights filter, which is pretty cool because it uh, makes it a lot easier to do certain types of image editing that you would normally do in something like a dark table or raw therapy. They've added the ability to do masks on layer groups. They've also added the ability to uh, recover from recover files from a crash. So if you're working on an image and the cra- and your and grip crashes, when you bring Gimp back up, it will try to recover the files that you were working on so you wouldn't lose them. Now, this doesn't technically work right now in the release candidate, but it is scheduled for release with 2.10. So that is really nice for them to be doing. So overall, there's a lot of cool updates, and they're even making like gigantic uh, updates for the GEGL, or Geggle, library, which is a graphics library. GIMP has a lot of potential. That is, you know, it's, it's making it a big jump forward in the space. One of the reasons I also wanted to talk about GIMP is because I saw a video from Scale. So this video is in, is titled "Why the GIMP Team Obviously Hates You." the The topic is about is pretty interesting because it's 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 one of the GIMP team members who is talking about why GIMP doesn't do things that the community wants them to do. One of the things that they said, GIMP is a huge project. It is it's had such a huge history, such a long it's got like massive longevity. It is used by a wide variety of types of different like for people who are like photographers and uh, artists and all kinds of things. And the amount of people who work on on GIMP is six people. Two of those six people are core backend developers, and the other four are feature and patch builders and things like that. But there's only one person typically that works on the Geggle library. Uh, there's another person who does do some work with it as well, but majority of that library is built by one person. So their video is basically to say, while we don't hate you, we don't disagree with some of the ideas you have. Like they said, you know, adjustment layers are fantastic. We would totally want adjustment layers. We don't have enough people to work on adjustment layers in order to make it a possibility in GIMP. So it's just an I think it's an interesting uh, video to check out if you want. It, it it did give me some enlighten me to some topics about what they what they were discussing because I wasn't aware of how just how small the team was. The amount of people they have as developers and the amount of work they have been able to accomplish, it is very impressive. So maybe if there was more developers, then you know GIMP could be we'll see what happens in the future, but 2.10 does look like a very nice release and I look forward to trying it out. This week we got an update for Raw Therapy 5.4. Raw Therapy is a cross-platform open source raw image editor. If you ever heard of Darktable, Raw Therapy is essentially the same type of program. They do very similar things. The Raw Therapy update added a new histogram matching tool, HDR tone mapping, and you can now do local contrast manipulation. This is mostly a maintenance update with a few features 
But overall, I just wanted to make a note about raw therapy because it's a really cool uh, application. And if you are, if you're any kind of into photography at all, then you should definitely check out raw therapy. There's another thing I wanted to talk about that was just in the previous topic of GIMP. Raw therapy and Darktable are now going to be in, in the in future releases of GIMP. They're going to have it where you can have integration between the two. So you can open something in RAW and directly send it to GIMP. And in some cases, they're, they're saying that they're working on it, maybe even opening like an instance of RAW therapy or Darktable inside of GIMP. If you haven't heard of RAW therapy before, definitely check it out. Well, if you're into RAW image management, stuff like that. Tilex is a terminal emulator that has tiling windows f- functionality. You may have heard of it previously uh, of a different name because it used to be called Terminix. I went into more detail about that particular topic in episode 3 of This Week in Linux, so if you'd like to check that out, uh, you can find a link in the show notes. But this one has a new update. We'll just talk about a couple in that they fixed some, some transparency issues with the upcoming release of uh, Gnome 328. I just wanted to talk about Tilex in a general because Tilex is a really cool application that if you would like to have some kind of like tiling terminal, it is a fantastic solution. And if you use X, the Quake mode is a really nice feature to have. So check out Tilex 1.7.7. This week we had an announcement from Digicam. 5.9 was released. This is mostly just a bug fix release, but they also had some nice improvements for performance. They've improved some uh, MySQL performance, and they fixed the support for XMP sidecar support. This is th- this is the last version of the 5.9 series, or the not 5, the 5.x series, and this is mostly just a bug fix release. But there's a there are a lot of cool things that if you're interested in checking out, Digicam is a very cool photo management tool made by the KDE team. So if you'd like to get check it out, uh, you'll find a link in the show notes. This week we got an announcement for a fork of Synergy. And if you've never heard of Synergy, Synergy is a tool that is probably the most commonly suggested tool for having multiple machines but using the same input for both machines. So, for example, a mouse or a keyboard that would be interchangeable between multiple machines. So the software is going back and forth and stretching back and forth. So you can go from one computer to the other without having to use a different keyboard or a mouse. So th- that's a really cool idea, but unfortunately... The version, the 1.x series of Synergy has been deprecated, and the 2.x series is very different. And they have changed the approach in a very weird way. One of the things that turns me off of Synergy now, they made it so that when you, when you connect to the machines, you also have to ping their servers for every connection. Like they're trying to, like they're making their own server like a middleman type. In some cases, that kind of thing is not that bad to do. It could be beneficial depending on the software. But in this, that means that you could not be able, you wouldn't be able to use the software without being on the internet. So if you're in a local intranet structure, you wouldn't be able to use it at all. And that kind of defeats the point in a lot of ways. So if you're at an enterprise or you know a company structure and you have multiple computers you got to work with you can't without being actually access to the internet. This is a fork of that. Barrier is a fork of Synergy's 1.9 code base. So you can totally check ch- give a check check out that. So it's it's a pretty interesting approach. Uh there's also some hardware approaches if you like. So if you if you do give Barrier a try, 
Let me know what you think in the comments or in the Telegram group by going to touchdigital.com slash Telegram and just, you know, let me, let me know what you think. I kind of wish they were calling it Unbarrier, but anyway. Linus announced that it's possible that the, the Linux 4.16 kernel will be released very soon, within a few days or so even. I also want to talk about that they have released four new updates for the, for the stable kernels that are currently supported. 4.4, 4.9, 4.14, and 4.15 all had point release updates. Let's talk about 4.16 that's coming out. They've merged a VirtualBox guest driver so that you wouldn't have to install guest editions inside of different distributions because they would be automatically in installed by default with the driver. This means that if someone's a Windows user and they wanted to try out Linux, they wouldn't have to know about guest editions or install them. They would be able to just, just try out Linux in a way that it was kind of meant to be. So that's pretty cool. They've also added support for more ARM boards, specifically Orange Pi version 1, the Hummingboard 2, and even a D-Link NAS enclosure. There's also support for NVIDIA's Jetson TX2 display support and Tegra TX2 improvements. And there's a lot of more th things like that improvement. There's been a, like a lot of file storage, file system storage improvements like uh, ButterFS RAID 5 and 6 had a lot of fixes being done, so that's always good. One of the cool things about it is that AMD GPU DC now supports multiple display synchronization, so you can have a better multi-monitor experience with like the new graphics cards from AMD. So that's very cool. That's the 4.16 kernel, but I also want to talk about the 4.17 kernel that's coming out because there's even cooler things coming with that too. Uh, I'm not really sure if it's cooler because the VirtualBox was pretty cool. But the AMD GPU DC that we just talked about is coming by default enabled in 4.17. You, you can activate it in 4.16, but by default it will be enabled in 4.17, so that is nice. You can have discrete GPU support in AMD KFD. These these initialisms are so fun to say. You notice that? There's just there there's not that many. Oh, there's a ton. Anyway. So they the in, Intel Cannon Lake Gen 10 graphics are now considered stable and will be enabled by default in 4.17. They're also adding AMD Vega 12 support. They're adding support for the ACPI time and alarm driver and a really interesting flight RC flight controller driver for the Phoenix RC like controller. And it's like, you know, if you if you fly model planes or, you know, model helicopter things like that, uh, the Phoenix RC flight controller was for that. Uh, and maybe even potentially you can make it work with like a drone or something. I'm, I'm I don't know. But anyway, this is really cool news. This week we got a really nice update from Valve. They decided to open source their networking their their game networking sockets library. And this is a it's a networking transport layer. It was ba based on it was just a Steam only thing, so this could be cool so it could be included into other or other games where not having to require the Steam platform. That is very nice. So the transport layer uses a custom connection-oriented protocol. Overall, this is, is like a fantastic thing because it has bandwidth estimation. It has uh, encryption based on a AES per packet. It has a, a way to simulate tools for simulating loss and stats for like detailed stats measurements. So like overall, this is a really nice thing for them to be just, you know, just decide to open source it because that's fantastic. They're still working on the, the functionality of it. So like not... Everything is full open source. 
and not everything is like developer friendly yet or open source friendly i guess i would say so they're like they're they are continuing to work on that and they just you know ask people to bear with them but they it will become like fully open sourced pretty like well i don't know when but hopefully pretty soon last week we talked about the gnome memory leak that the gnome shell was having and this week we i wanted to bring it back up because there is some some really good news that the the leak has been identified in the garbage collection of uh, the GNOME shell, and this bug is uh, being currently worked on. They have identified what the problem is, and they've already started working on a patch to fix it. We don't know exactly when they're going to fi- when they're going to be able to fix it, but they did say uh, GNOME shell 3.30 will have the support, have the fix. Now, will it would whether it's going to be in 18.04 for Ubuntu or not, we don't know for sure yet. But it is marked as critical and high priority for both Ubuntu 17.10 and 18.04. So if it does get fixed within the time period before 18.04 gets released, it will most likely, almost guaranteed, be added. But, you know, we can't really, don't really know for sure yet. Once we get the update, I'll let you know. Open Media Vault 3.0.99 was released this week. This is mostly like a maintenance update. Uh, it's a great distribution for network attached storage, or NAS. It's it's it provides okay first it is a Debian based distro for network attached storage solutions. If you've uh, if you ever heard of FreeNAS, FreeNAS is a network attached storage for based on FreeBSD, and OpenMediaVault is the same kind of thing but based on Debian. So if you're looking for a Linux based distro for a NAS, OpenMediaVault is a really good option for that. What it's really cool about it is that the administration of it is like a web-based approach, so you don't really have to install anything on the other machines that you're using it with. You, as long as as long as they support those protocols, you can just set it up to just sync the files from the main machine to the NAS server, the the OpenMediaVault server. It's very nice if you're interested in any kind of like NAS solution. Check out OpenMediaVault 3.0.99. Pop exclamation point underscore OS had an update this week for a release of the 1804 testing ISOs. So you can try out 1804 version of Pop OS if you'd like to. But they also had some some interesting updates for the Pop Shop. And which by the way, Pop OS, I don't like the name of your distro. I don't have a problem with the term Pop OS, but the exclamation point at underscore is a little ridiculous. However, I am a big fan of that term, pop shop. That is fun. So good job on that one. Except for the exclamation underscore. Take that off. Pop shop. That's fun. Anyway. So they had a lot of interesting process or in progress for the pop shop. And that is, uh, they have, you can see the download size of an application for, in application listings. And it, what's even cooler is that it's not just the deb file, for example. It includes the dependencies as well. So you see the full amount that you'll need to install before installing it or before running. Like if you if you install an application through apt, it will tell you how much will be used. But in, and if you're using like a software center, they typically don't. Uh, they don't tell you the full set. This is going to add that. So that is very nice. And they've also added some new graphical assets to the Pop Shop. So uh, I look forward to trying out the new version of the Pop Shop, just so I can say that even more. Anyway, System76 also added that they are having support for the NVIDIA Titan V GPU. Now, if you haven't heard of that, that is a ridiculously powerful GPU, and it's also ridiculously expensive. I don't know if it's the most powerful, like, outright 
you know, an AMD Threadripper or something might, I don't know, challenge it. But it's one of the top. And the cost of the Titan V is $3,000. So it's interesting that they put the effort into making the Titan V work for the Pop, for Pop OS. But I don't know how many people are going to be able to um, justify the cost of a Titan V. I know I'm not going to. So if, if you do have a Titan V, you can totally use the Pop Shop in Pop OS. Cubes OS 4.0 was released this week, and it has a ton of features and uh, improvements added since the previous version. First up, they've added the ability to switch from HVM to PVH for most virtual machines in response to the Meltdown Spectre problem, so they've mitigated that. They've made it possible to clone a VM into a new name and then automatically remove the old VM. You can now create USB virtual machines. Non-encrypted backups are no longer supported. So that's an interesting way of doing it. So like, if you want to do a backup of your VMs, you have to encrypt it now. So that's an, you know that's a nice security improvement. And overall, there's been a lot of updates. For example, like kernel 4.9.x series was updated to it was to updated to that series. They've added more flexible firewall improvements, like the Uni kernel integration is added. So overall, if you haven't tried it, uh, CubesOS is a distribution to basically manage virtual machines easily. So you would install CubesOS, then you would install other distributions as virtual machines inside of CubesOS. It's a really nice UI. It's really nice, like, organized and things like that. So if you haven't given it a shot, feel free to do so. It is a very interesting thing. And on their front page, they have some, like, testimonials or opinions from people including Edward Snowden. So it is very much security-oriented and privacy-oriented. So CubesOS 4.0. I'd like to take a moment to give a happy birthday to Red Hat. They're celebrating 25 years of Red Hat. And they've also made an interesting uh, article you might want to check out. They have a link in the show notes for 25 things you should know about Red Hat. One of the things I actually did not know, kind of disappointed what their answer was, but still interesting to know the name red hat i always thought came from you know the terms black hat and white hat hackers and stuff that's where i thought red hat came from nope it's because the founder of red hat used to wear a red hat during universities while people asked him for help and they called him the red hat guy somewhat disappointed that it's not related to that but still interesting because something mundane as the type of hat you wear becomes the name of a company, a billion dollar, mega billion dollar company, and his longevity, like in the in the tech space, longevity is like amazing because they've been around for so long that they've seen so many things happening in the tech space. You know, most companies, if they last five years, they are incredibly lucky, and Red Hat's lasted twenty five years, so that's pretty awesome. But anyway, once again, happy birthday to Red Hat. Next up in the show is Slacks 9.4 was released. And Slacks is a Debian-based distribution. This is mostly a maintenance features and bug fixes and things like that. But there are some nice, cool add-ins uh, to the distribution for this release. They've added the ability to easily switch off and on Wi-Fi devices with RF Kill. They've improved icon detection for various different applications. Enable hotkeys and also config so you can make it easier to you know, control the volume for your sound devices. 
They've added X-Archiver, so you can more easily create archives and extract archives. But probably the most interesting thing that they've added for this particular release is a shortcut system for apps that will auto-install and then run applications. So, for example, you could have an, a shortcut on the desktop or in the menu system that is for an application that you do not currently have installed. But if you choose to open it, it will first install that application and will prompt you to install that application and then and then open it afterwards. So it's like a much easier, like a barrier to entry for people who aren't necessarily familiar with certain applications that are available via Debian repos. They give it, they make it easier to get certain things depending on which which repo they're they're in. So that's a really interesting approach for Slacks. So anyway, if you're interested in checking it out, Slacks nine point four. Next up in the show is the Canonical Corner. This week, Mark Shuttleworth had an interview with Swapnil Bartia. Hope I said that one right. Swapnil does a lot of uh, journalism for Linux and open source. So yeah, I heard of him. Go, you know, check him out. There's links for this videos in the video description or show notes. He's talking about Canonical's approach to an IPO and what Mark Shuttleworth's opinion on doing it and when it might happen. Uh, overall, it's a pretty cool video. You should check it out. But he says that he sees that in the future, Canonical will have partnerships with basically every large company, whether that's desktop server, IoT, or whatever. They expect to have support, uh, you know, some kind of partnership with pretty much every big company. So that is a, you know, that 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 kind of a goal shows that they are, you know, very serious about the approach for the company. Next up, we got a, a final, like an not necessarily final. They might change a little bit, but an official list for the removed items in Ubuntu 18.04 minimal installation. Notably, it would be Thunderbird, LibreOffice, Transmission GTK app, Gnome To Do, Baobab, a Rhythmbox, Cheese, Shotwell, Totem, and a bunch of other things. It's basically going to remove all of the applications that are might not be the preferred for like an experienced user. So you can install the distribution and then put whatever you want on it. So that's a really cool thing. So if you're looking, if you want to check out the full list, there's quite a bit more. So anyway, if you want to check it out, links are in the show notes. And finally, this week we got some updates from the Snapcraft team regarding updates to Snapcraft.io. One of the things that is really cool about this is that they've added initial support for bases to target a new core base snap. So you can add like instead of just the core snaps, you can have uh, new cores. The way snaps work is that you can you can either have everything all included or you can have core snaps, which are essentially runtime. And you know they're they're improving the the workflow and the functionality of those particular implementations. But another thing that they're adding is the ability to have a better app integration with AppStream. So AppStream is a standard for data like metadata for applications. You'll see it in RPMs and DEBs a lot. Uh, not all applications have AppStream data included, but for a large majority of them do. And Snaps didn't really work that well with the AppStream data, um, but now in future releases for Snaps, they will. That is great. So it'll be better integration with various different software stores, application installation systems, and, you know, maybe it would benefit the pop shop. To this week, we got an announcement for the Humble Indie Bundle 19. They have a lot of interesting games in this one. I, I already own this one, but it'd be really nice to have it for a very cheap price. Even anyway, uh, Polybridge is a really fun like bridge constructor thing for like a physics game. And also, I haven't tried this yet, and I totally want to do it. So I'm probably going to get this bundle anyway, just for this one thing. But there's a game called Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes. I, that's such a weird 
interesting game that I want to check it out. So there's also a lot of cooler games like Soma and the super hot game is a really interesting approach to like a first person shooter type very stylistic and in a couple more days we'll get you know even more games to see what's coming out like you know if you in the second tier of the bundle so i'm definitely looking forward to it before we go to the next topic i just wanted to mention that the link in the show notes for the humble indie bundle 19 is an affiliate link that supports the Tux Digital channel. So if you do decide to purchase the Humble Indie Bundle, I would appreciate it if you do use that link so that the Tux Digital channel will get some credit, gets a little commission for it. So anyway, I'm definitely going to get it just for the a couple of these games like the Keep Talking and the Super Hot. So let me know if you do get it. Let me know what you think about the uh, those games and uh, maybe we can play some multiplayer with it. Because um, the uh, Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes is a, is a multiplayer game. So that would definitely be fun to play with like a community thing. Humble Indie Bundle 19. Just a reminder, we do a live stream every week for the show. And in the topic for Humble Indie Bundle, the dark one in the chat mentioned that he thinks that Soma alone by, its, by itself is worth the price of the bundle. So that's something to think about. And also remember, uh, affiliate link, hashtag Seamus Plug. So you know how all the Android phones have really old kernels? In fact, most of them have 3.18. If they haven't updated, they're like not brand new. And even if they are brand new, they have like 4.4 kernel. Like they're just super ancient. Well, Plasma Mobile team and the Holium team have been working on getting mainline kernels to work inside of various different devices. So this post from the Plasma Mobile team was able to get initial support for the Nexus 5 to use the mainline kernel with Plasma Mobile. So this particular test has version 4.9, and it has a lot of, like it didn't support some of the features, but it's just, it's an initial developer build, so it's not intended to do that yet, and they're gonna you know work on that and improve some things like that. But it is possible to run this particular build on both the Nexus 5 and a Sony Xperia X2. So the, the approach they're doing is working, it seemed to be working on various different devices. So it's really cool to see. And they've said that if you'd like to try it out, you know, and give some feedback, that, that you can find them at, uh, I'll just have a link in the show notes if you'd like to try this out. So Plasma Mobile, Nexus 5, Mainline Kernel. Next up in the show, DuckDuckGo announced a privacy challenge, the $500,000 DuckDuckGo privacy challenge for 2018. This is a really cool campaign because it's like a crowdfunding thing plus a giveaway donation system thing. So the way it's structured is uh, for from now, well, actually from when they announced it, to April 10th, they will be conducting this challenge sort of thing. And whatever privacy, it's privacy, security oriented projects and organizations and things like that are competing for getting donations from DuckDuckGo. Now, what's really cool about the way they're doing it is that it's based on the amount of funds that they, you know, to get donations for the individual project. So, for example, Let's Encrypt and Tails and things like that are a part of the project, a part of the camp of the challenge. And like the Freedom of the Press Foundation, Fire for the Future and tour and etc there's a, like all these are ch- uh, par- participating in the challenge whichever organization wins the challenge they get the money that they don't they, they raised from the crowdfunding but they also get depending on what place they make money from DuckDuckGo. so for example the first place organization gets fifty thousand dollar donation directly from DuckDuckGo on top of whatever other organi- or whatever 
donations they got from the crowdfunding. And the second place gets 40000 35000 for third, 30000 for fourth, 25000 for fifth, and etc. The top 16 organizations get donations from DuckDuckGo. That is very cool. And even if an organization loses overall and it doesn't get in the top 16, they still get to keep whatever money that they were they fund they crowdfunded for the challenge in the first place. So this is like DuckDuckGo does not get anything from this. They're just doing this campaign to sort of you know invigorate donations for these projects as well as so that they would you know give pro- give money to the projects themselves as well. So like that's a really cool approach for a challenge, and uh, I'm glad I'm glad to see something like that being done, especially from like DuckDuckGo because I am a big fan of DuckDuckGo. And- Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please hit that like button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the channel, we have a Patreon at TuxDigital.com slash Patreon. Or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to TuxDigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere. If you'd like some more podcast goodness featuring me, then check out Destination Linux. Destination Linux is a Linux discussion podcast that I'm now a co-host of, so check out the latest episode by going to DestinationLinux.org. I know you must be thinking, Michael, two podcasts? That's not enough. Don't worry, I've got you covered. I was also the guest host for the latest episode, episode four, of the Ubuntu podcast. You can check that episode out as well by going to ubuntupodcast.org. You can find links to that, as well as Destination Linux and many other things, in the show notes below. Just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern or 6 p.m. UTC. So join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each week. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.